From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, November 5th. The CDC recently made the Pfizer COVID vaccine available to children ages 5 to 11. That means Grant County kids in this age group could get their first shot as soon as next week. The Southeast Utah Health Department is holding two by-appointment clinics Monday and Tuesday at HMK Elementary School. I think that it's uh, exciting because it gives parents the option to have their children vaccinated. Grand County School District Superintendent Taryn Kay. She says the district, county, and health department plan to extend the school mask mandate until December 18th. But now that the vaccine is available to most school-aged children, she doesn't expect the mask mandate to be in place after winter break. That's because the health department says there's enough time for kids age five and up to be fully vaccinated before the mask mandate is removed. When we come back after the holiday break, there will be no mask mandate in place. And so the vaccine is allowing us to hopefully have that little bit more normal school environment without masks. Vaccines have been available to children age 12 and up since May. The Southeast Utah Health Department says in Grand County, 40% of the 12 to 18-year-old population is fully vaccinated. Kay hopes families with students ages 5 and up will take advantage of the vaccine's availability. You know, covid Uh, is here to stay. And now that a vaccine is available basically for all populations that are school age, then we need to figure out how to better live with COVID. And the vaccine gives us a tool to do that. Health department staff say they are working on a plan to create more vaccine clinics for children ages 5 to 11. You can stay updated and find their first two by-appointment clinics at seuhealth.com. The fall season has KZMU freelancer Holly Lammert thinking about abundance. Today, she has an audio essay featuring this concept with voices from September's Harvest Festival at the Youth Garden Project. Here's Holly. Abundance. Reflecting on this word, what comes to mind? While desert extremes dance from cold nights to warm days, and bright sunshine fades as the leaves of the cottonwoods turn from green to yellow, dropping down into the creek, I find myself reflecting on the richness that this season has to offer. So today, I'd like to take you on a journey of a few scenes from this special time of year. We'll hear different perspectives as the Moab community came together to celebrate this abundance. Kick it off at the Youth Garden Project's Harvest Festival, where face painting, puppies, pizzas, and pies enlivened a friendly neighborhood get-together. What do you guys think? What's your favorite pie? I'm going to have to go with the grape. Abundance to me means pies. As my family rolls out a variety of tasty doughy desserts each year for Thanksgiving, one in particular is the grape pie. When I found Concord grapes cost to volume ratio in alignment with the peak of the picking season at $1 a pound, I took it as a sign to enter into the pie and jam competition at the Harvest Fest. Sinking into gratitude as I realized this incredible effort my mom takes every year to share this sweet treat with us. I was excited to share this treat with the community. Oh, wow. Do you like it? I would vote for that pie. Really? A huge shout-out to other bakers, a pumpkin and peach basil pie, took the Harvest Festival prize. And while change is inevitable and ever-present in every moment, fall is a fertile bed for nostalgia. 
and offers us moments to reflect on the changes from year to year. I am Mary Langworthy, and I handle community relations at the Moab Museum. And where are we right now? We are at Harvest Festival at the Youth Garden. And what has been something that stands out for you today about how people are responding to your booth and the harvest? I've had a lot of fun conversations about the artifacts that I have here. I have some interesting food or agriculture related artifacts from the museum's collection. Will you teach us something about agriculture back in the day? Sure, yeah. So uh, ranching is a big part of Moab's story today and also in the past since this area has uh, been settled by ranchers. Um, Here I have a fruit press, which is kind of cool. It's a technology still kind of in use today, but um, this would have been used to make applesauce or juice of various fruits, kind of whatever's in season. And just is kind of an example of the do-it-yourself ingenuity of uh, Moabites in the past and today. Yeah, today I would feel like there's still some ingenuity. What do you see, like what's the biggest change from the past to today? Oh gosh. In agriculture. I feel like a lot of people have a lot of different perspectives on this. Um, I mean, for a while that's kind of the only industry in this area at the time. Like Moab's had a few different booms and busts, you know. In the town's early history it was a ranching kind of community and then it was a uranium mining community and now it's a tourism recreation focused community and these artifacts are just kind of a, a little taste of um, some of those different chapters. To wrap up this chapter and bring it full circle, we chat with the incredible humans that made the Youth Gardens Harvest Festival all possible. Okay, we're here with Jesse, who works for YGP. Awesome, hello. And we just finished up the Harvest Fest, how do you feel? It's been so much fun. Um, Yeah, it's really great to see so many people from the community come out um, in a safe way after the past year and be able to celebrate together and kick off fall. And yeah, it was a really great time. What does fall mean to you? That's a good question. Um, I think I've been thinking a lot recently about harvest in general and kind of the abundance of food that we have right now at the garden specifically. Um, So that's been really awesome to see and also just kind of rounding out the year, transitioning into colder weather, new season. Um, Yeah, kind of fresh start to the end of the year. While we refuel our tanks with soups and Moab slows down, the sun still shines. So in the spirit of the season, do you have some stories from your garden that you'd like to share? What is your favorite thing about fall? I'm happy to have a conversation with you around town and hear your perspective. Like this, as I found myself at Moonflower preparing to make a beet kvass, with the beets overflowing from the one hour before closing free bin. And I ran into a fellow gardener and community seed planter, Nick. I'm sitting in front of a discount produce bin, which is just overflowing with tomatoes and colors and the last remnants of of our, our summer bounty, which we'll have to uh, can or, or preserve now before it goes away in just, a, in just a month or so. This is Holly, wishing you a happy harvest, encouraging you to stay present for every fall moment, and let the abundance flow. Holly Lammert with an audio essay on the concept of abundance. If you'd like to answer her questions about the fall season, you can email info at kzmu.org.
And now the weekly newsreel, where we speak with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area. The preliminary returns from Tuesday's local election show Joette Langanese will be the next mayor of Moab and Luke Wojciechowski and Jason Taylor as new city council members. But as Carter Poppy from the Times Independent reports, things are tight, especially with that council race. And the final outcome could change. On election night, I went over to City Hall where they had the voting booths. And I was there a little before 8 when the polls closed so they could be present for when the results were tabulated. I'd never seen it before, so um, it was interesting to see them actually like out in the open counting the Mm. ballots to tabulate the results. I think about around 9 is when we finally got the preliminary results. And they showed three winners, Joette Langanese for mayor, Jason Taylor for city council, and Luke Wojciechowski for city council as well. And then digging into the results a little bit, uh, it became clear that the city council race was actually pretty close. Very close, huh? Yeah. You know, ranked choice voting, the it's uh, not as intuitive as just selecting two winners per person because, you know, in that case, you can just do simple addition Mm -hmm. to figure out who's the winner. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's contingent uh, based on how many people ranked candidates first and second and all that. So it makes it easier to vote and maybe nicer to vote because you get to, you know, put your candidates in order of preference. But on the side of figuring out who is the winner, that's a little bit more complex than typical. Once we put the preliminary results, I went back in and looked at, okay, what were the margins? And it turns out there was a seven-point margin in one of the elimination rounds between Josie Kovash, who's running for city council, and Luke Wojciechowski. These are the two uh, candidates that the Democratic Party endorsed. Mm-hmm. So once I saw that, it was like, oh, this is really close. <laughs> you know, being in the room, I was talking to election officials, and they said, you know, there are at least 12 ballots that are curable. And these are ballots that have signature problems either Mm. the -hmm. signatures that the state has on file does not match what was on the ballot okay or like a wife signed for the husband or something Mm. like that yeah okay so there were 12 of those in moab and we learned there were more perhaps in utah county we now know there are 33 curable ballots Mm -hmm. now there's they have like two weeks to do the final vote canvas. Do you expect that we'll have results before then? You know, have you heard anything about that? So we got additional results on Wednesday. The updated results, the second set we got, actually showed the race even closer than it was on Friday. That seven point margin or seven vote margin is now a one vote margin. Things could change, but what's clear is that Jason Taylor has secured a seat on the city council and one of Josie Kovash or Luke Wojciechowski we'll have the other seat. It depends a bit on people who voted for Jason Taylor as their first preference. Mm -hmm. We don't know who their second preference tended to be. Mm -hmm. We do know that the people who voted for Luke as their first choice tended to put Josie as their second Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But just based on the results we've seen so far, we don't know if people tend to prefer Josie or Luke Mm -hmm. or maybe even one of the other candidates. It's unlikely, but possible. Now walk us through this a little bit. You know, when you look at MoabCity.org, you click on the elections tab, they have their first preliminary results, right? And then, of course, later on Wednesday, they sent out a release saying, hey, we're going to have our second preliminary results. 
you click on these links and you can kind of see, okay, here's each round of ranked choice voting. Here's how the vote shook out. Now the first seat is still going to Luke as we speak. The second seat still going to Jason. Can you break that down for us of your analysis, Luke or Josie? Yeah, the reason that Luke in the preliminary results so far is winning the first seat is that when the final three in that round are Luke, Jason, and Josie. Josie has one fewer vote at that point than Luke. Right. And she also has a lot fewer than Jason. She's the person with the fewest votes, so she gets eliminated. Mm -hmm. People who had her as their top preference Mm -hmm. in that round, those votes get bumped to their next preference. Right. And, you know, perhaps not surprisingly, most people who voted for the Democrat, one of the democratically backed candidates put the other democratically backed candidate as their next choice. Mm -hmm. So most of her, I mean, a very large portion of her votes go to Luke. Mm -hmm. Once there are only two candidates remaining in that race for the first seat, Luke's the one that has the most votes. So he wins that one. So he gets eliminated. Well, he's not considered for the second seat. Right. To determine the winner of the second seat, he's effectively eliminated, but that's only because he's already won. Right. So, mm-hmm. and not considered, as mm-hmm. you said. So, people who had him as their first preference, their votes go to their second preference. Mm-hmm. And again, most of the people who had Luke as the first choice put Josie as the second. But at that point, you still have four candidates in the race right. Anthony Charles and. Um, Mike McCurdy. Mike McCurdy being the others. Mm -hmm. Because we've wiped the slate clean to determine the second seat. So nobody has a majority. We eliminate the one with the fewest votes. That's Anthony Charles. Still no majority. We eliminate the one with the fewest votes. That's Mike McCurdy. There are only two people remaining in that case, Josie and Jason. And Jason happens to have the most votes in that situation. Okay. Ranked choice voting, you're right. It's a totally different system for our little community here. And, you know, we anticipate more results soon. I think that it's going to be really interesting. When we get the full spread of data, is there a way to analyze, like, had we had a quote-unquote normal election, would we have the same outcome? That's a great question. And I've been thinking about this as well. Uh Um, I expect, I mean, I don't see a reason why we wouldn't get more complete results. You know, those results would be anonymized, so we don't see who Mm -hmm. voted for who, but we would get to see, like, this was the first choice, second choice, third choice. And I think once we get that, I'm definitely going to try to answer that question (laughs) because it is very interesting. Right, right, right. If we had done a pick two thing and Uh people pick just their Uh first two choices, what would be the outcome? Uh We don't know at this point. My suspicion is that the results would be similar, that it would be, again, a close race between Josie and Luke and that Jason, again, would... Yeah, have secured a seat, but we don't know for sure. We we'll see. Know. Now, finally, the last thing I do want to mention about the election, we've been talking about the city council race, but Joette Langanese is yes. new mayor. Can we say that with confidence? We can <laughs> say that with confidence. The vote margin there was quite large. I think it was not more than 90 votes, so much more than the number uh-huh. of outstanding curable ballots. Right. Um, so... Mm-hmm. We do know Joette's going to be the next mayor. Um, Now, moving on, um, there's more coverage, of course, in the Times Independent that we'd like to highlight. Yeah, so Jared Ellers uh, has admitted to killing Stephanie Zimmerman in a car accident caused by drunk driving. 
uh, he, he pled guilty in the case. And so what happened this week was sentencing. Okay. Judge Don Torgerson has sentenced him to a term of one to 15 years in Utah prison. Mm-hmm. During that hearing, there were victim statements as well as uh, some statements in support of a lighter sentence for Ellers. My editor, Doug, covered this story, so all the details are, are in his story. Mm-hmm. But um, th- some of the things that stood out for me were uh, what the judge said about the case. Let's hear it. For context, this is his third DUI conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that, was, that was part of the decision that, that Torgerson made. But he said that with these competing interests, the three things that he said were the most important in considering the sentencing are public safety, rehabilitation, and retribution. Okay. He said that rehabilitation didn't work uh, because, you know, Ellers has two previous DUI convictions. This mm-hmm. is a third. Yeah. Torgerson said that retribution was in order. Quote, this is a serious offense. It resulted in a loss of life. Mm-hmm. I can't quantify the value of a life, he said. And then to public safety, he said that he was persuaded that Ellers was a risk mm-hmm. to... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, public safety. Those were the decisions that went into determining the sentence, which is the maximum for uh, a second degree felony, which mm-hmm. this is. Okay. You know, Judge Torgerson, he has a lot of experience as a public defender at one point, and he's now been our local seventh district judge for several years now, and he kind of takes the time to lay it out. Yeah, it was interesting to watch him, you know, uh, Doug handled this case and I've done some Mm -hmm. more civil ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been interesting to watch him handle those as well, because he thinks out loud, he tries Mm -hmm. to make sure that um, people are sort of understanding the process, which, you know, I think that's what uh, people generally want from their criminal justice system is understanding the outcomes. But another important thing here to remember is as he was talking about this, He was also talking about just the unfortunate number of deaths from uh, Mm. impaired driving that Mm -hmm. Grand County has seen. And so I think another way to think about this and to understand it is in terms of deterrence. Mm. Um, You know, this sends a pretty clear message that you're not going to get away with drunk driving, period. I I think that's another thing to take out of this story. But the the final thing, which... um, you know, I, I haven't spoke much to here is just the human impact. So mm-hmm. Doug spoke pretty extensively with the family of Stephanie Zimmerman, mm-hmm. who was the woman who uh, mm-hmm. died in that accident. And um, yeah, I, I think the story does a pretty good job of laying out, you know, what that family has right. experienced. Carter Poppy, staff writer at The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Local media was abuzz with election results this week. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News covered the tight races for this week's edition and has more thoughts on why the city council race may not be over. The city released two rounds of preliminary results. Mm-hmm. Um, the first had a clerical error that um, like showed more ballots had mm-hmm. been counted than actually were counted. And so they released a second preliminary results. And that's what we went off of with our yeah. coverage. Um, so it looks like Joette is going to be elected mayor. 
Um, she won the vote in the fifth round of ranked choice voting eliminations. Um, she had 53.6% of the first choice vote. Um, and Bill Winfield was close behind her, just under 100 votes behind her. Mm-hmm. So the city council election had two seats, but you only voted once because it was ranked choice voting. And they were just going to do eliminations to do mm-hmm. the first seat and then the second seat, mm-hmm. which is much different than, you know, traditional voting. So the preliminary results showed... Luke winning one seat with 866 votes and Jason Taylor winning the second seat with 842 votes. Except it's a very close race because Luke and Josie, um, who were both endorsed by the Grand County Democratic Party along with Joette, um, they are extremely close in round three of ranked choice voting eliminations. So basically how it worked for the first seat, they tallied up all the votes in the first round. Nobody had more than 50% of first choice votes. So um, Right, so no clear winner. Right, so no clear winner mm-hmm. in the first round. And then um, someone got eliminated and it went to round two. There were still, still no one had more than 50% of their first choice votes. And then it went to round three. Um, and at this point, Luke and Josie were separated by a difference of one vote in Luke's favor. Um, meaning that Josie was eliminated moving into the fourth round. Mm -hmm. And so most of the votes for her for first choice then got transferred to whoever those people put as their second choice, which was um, mostly Luke. So a lot of people voted like Josie first choice, Luke second choice. But once Josie was eliminated after losing to Luke by one vote, um, then all of those votes transferred to him, and then he got this huge boost, huge which bump. gave him the first seat. And so then it moves on to the second seat. It was mostly between Josie and Jason Taylor. It went through eliminations again with Anthony Charles getting mm-hmm. eliminated. Um, and then it was Josie, Jason Taylor, and Mike McCurdy. And then what happened was a lot of the people who voted for Mike McCurdy for their first choice Um, he got eliminated Mm -hmm. and a lot of those people had put Jason Taylor as their second choice. The boost that Jason Taylor got from everyone who voted for Mike McCurdy first, um, pushed him over 50% and then he won the second seat. And so it looks like Jason Taylor has the most secure seat because even if in the first seat elimination rounds, um, if right. Josie is ahead of Luke, that means that Luke will get eliminated, pushing Josie over the top. Mm-hmm. And then I think the same thing would happen in that it would be Luke versus Jason Taylor versus mm-hmm. Mike McCurdy. And once Mike McCurdy is eliminated, mm-hmm. a lot of his votes would go to Jason Taylor, which mm-hmm. would push him over the top again. Thank you for breaking that down. I was thinking about ranked choice voting for like five hours yesterday. So <laughs> it was an exciting day for you yeah. because the sun, of course, is up against a deadline. Right. You're fielding <laughs> calls. You're trying to get emails. And yeah. like nothing is really clear. Right. And we may not know for another two weeks when they do a final canvas. Yeah. So according to Summer Johnson as of yesterday, um, and she's the city recorder, 33 ballots still need to be cured or verified to be counted. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and it looks like those 33 votes wouldn't be able to change the mayoral Mm -hmm. race um, because Joette beat Bill Winfield by um, like around 100 votes. But it could definitely change the city council seats, especially with Josie versus Luke. Anything else to mention about that before we move on? Or? I mean, I reached out to a lot of the candidates for yeah. comment, but um, no one really got back to me. But Bill Winfield did go on his Facebook page and 
thanked his supporters and also told them to stay tuned until November 16th. Till the final votes are tallied. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, so the Moab and News uh, reported this week on the Moab City Police Department, some of the latest stuff that um, is going on in that realm. Can you fill us in? Um, because this is also related to grandma law, which is a records request law here in Utah. So tell us what's happening with the PD. So the Salt Lake Tribune broke this huge story that the Moab City Police Department charged about 30 media organizations $98 um, for the body cam footage of a police incident involving Gabby Petito. They charged these 30 entities $98, which totaled almost $3,000. And so um, this body cam footage was released under the Utah State Government Records Access Management Act, um, which is referred to by the acronym GRAMMA. And under that act, the charge should have only happened once, and Mm. it's encouraged to happen not even at all. So, for example, if I'm the first media organization to request a certain Mm -hmm. document, I might expect a charge. But the, you know, 29 other media Mm -hmm. behind me requesting the same document should not expect a charge. Yeah. So requesting documents um, and any documents when you request them under grandma um, usually come with a fee because the fee pays for whoever is putting the documents Mm -hmm. together. Um, It pays for their time. And so there's a line in the act that says that that fee may not exceed the salary of the lowest paid employee who in the discretion of the custodian of records has the necessary skill and training to perform the request. So that charge should have only happened once and then everyone else could have gotten it for free. So what happened is the Salt Lake Tribune found out about this and they asked the Moab City Police, you know, why did we get charged? Um, And they didn't really have that great of an answer. And then they figured out that it was this violation of the law. And so both Brett Edge, who is the police chief, and Kelly Day, who is the office manager at the police department, both of them are out on leave right now. um, But Mm -hmm. they are the ones who would have been around when these charges happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So they couldn't be reached for comment. So I talked to Lisa Church, who said that she didn't know exactly what the thinking was. And she didn't really call it a mistake because she was like, well, I don't think I can because I don't know what they were thinking. And she said that normally the city tries to provide grandma documents, especially to the media, um, free of charge. Mm -hmm. And so Moab is returning all the charges that were made and the fees will be refunded starting this week. And I also talked to Eric Peterson, who's the executive director of the Utah Investigative Journalism Project. And he kind of said that honoring grammar requests ensures government transparency. Um, And typically with grammar requests, he says, like, if taxpayer dollars touch a document, any member of the public should be allowed to request to view it. So I think, like... It's important to remember that grandma documents aren't only for media organizations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in Utah, you have a right to request these government documents. Yeah, grandma law is pretty robust. Mm -hmm. And it's it's well used here in Moab, especially when it comes to the Moab City Police Department. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like um, the city is taking the necessary steps that it needs to do to return the money that was charged as Kelly Day and Brett Edge continue to be on leave. There may be an investigation coming to light about why those charges were made. Before you go, let's touch on a a community profile that you did, Ali, about um, 
artist Julia Buckwalter. Yeah, so Julia Buckwalter was the 2021 Community Artist in the Parks. This position, which ran from April 1st to October 30th, um, meant that for at least 24 hours every week, she was painting in Arches and Canyonlands National Parks and Natural Bridges and Hovenweep National Monuments. Like a big part of this program is interacting with visitors, which she said taught her a lot, um, especially because it's kind of hard to like paint and talk to visitors at the same time. <laughs> um, I love Julia Buckwalter's painting, so it was really fun to talk to her. Um, she has this like really amazing way of capturing clouds, mm. and um, she's like pretty into how clouds interact with this landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can see kind of that theme like in a lot of her paintings. She is usually a large scale artist. She usually paints with oil on canvas, painting outside, or she uses photographs and then takes them to her studio. Um, And she said that when she had to transition to painting these smaller things, which is much easier to paint with when you're out in the field, you know, painting all day. She said that spending a lot of time studying like smaller scale specific rocks um, really allowed her to start like noticing more of the park and reintroducing herself to these rock formations. And so she has to, as a community artist in the park, she creates, like, this body of work that Mm -hmm. is all, like you said, focused on the Southeast Utah group of the national parks. And the position is unpaid, but artists get to display their work in the gift shops and get to talk to people. And so Buck Walter said that the exposure kind of made it worth it. Do we know who the next artist in the park for 2022 is yet? so we don't know yet but applications like just closed okay um so it'll probably be announced soon Allison Hartford of the Moab Sun News subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com and that's the weekly newsreel where we speak with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area Find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.